Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we're going to move rather quickly through Exodus chapter 11 after we look at this, but I want to talk to you about seasons. And I, I wanted to um, use the perspective of the children of Israel in Egyptian bondage, and then this new season that happens, what we might call a season of favor. Uh, and as a matter of fact, as we were just getting ready to go here, um, I believe the Lord kind of directed my heart towards Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in light of what we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 11. So let's just pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. We pray you'll open our eyes, uh, minister to our hearts tonight, grow us, and we pray that you'll be blessed um, by our lives as we live them for you. And we bless you tonight, Father. You are so faithful. We love you. We worship you. And we give you this night in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, there is an appointed time for everything. And I want to just highlight that word appointed to you tonight. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. There's a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time, verse 4, to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart, verse 7, and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Some of us need to highlight that one. <laughs> a time to love. If that, if that speaks to you tonight, then underline it. <laughs> and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Hmm? Hmm. Now, if you go back to Exodus, and, and I just wanted to highlight that appointed time because I, I like what Letitia said at the end. She asked one of those why God questions. Um, we all do that. Why did you take so long? Well, just imagine if you were a Hebrew in Egypt at this time. It's 400 years long enough. Could you imagine uh, day in and day out being in the brick pits, uh, being in Egyptian bondage? Uh, oftentimes we've seen descriptions in the text of cruel bondage where day in and day out these people suffered and they asked the big questions. Is there a God? And if there is one, does he care? And if he cares, where is he? Where is he? You guys talk about Abraham. You know, you talk about Isaac, you talk about Jacob, you mention a covenant. But where is he? We know Joseph came down here. We know there was a time of favor for him, but then there was a king that arose that knew not Joseph, you remember. And all of a sudden, the people of Israel are in bondage. Now, in this season of bondage, was God still God? Did God go on vacation? 
Did he take a long Rip Van Winkle nap? Well, from the perspective of a Hebrew in the mud pit, you might think that he did. But we know God never slumbers or sleeps. He doesn't go on vacation. And his eyes go to and fro upon the earth. And he looks at, at the sons of men. Nothing misses his notice. As a matter of fact, we're told in the Bible that God is so detailed about what he knows that he knows every thought that we think. He knows a word that we're going to speak before we speak it. If you look at the meticulousness of God, just read the book of Leviticus or look at some of his laws and how detailed he is about things that he wants. He knows what he wants. He knows what he's going to do. He knows when he's going to do it. And he knows how he's going to do it. And there is an appointed time for everything under the sun. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, Paul says to a largely uh, pagan audience that God has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. The day is fixed. God knows exactly what day it is. Jesus said, the angels don't even know the day, nor does the Son know the day, but the Father knows the day. He has fixed it by his own authority. In the book of Acts chapter 1, the apostles were asking, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the epochs and seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What he was saying is, look, you don't need to worry about God's timetable. What you need to worry about is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life for the situation in which you find yourself. Amen? That's what you need to worry about. Because you can't change God's timeline. God has a plan. What is awesome is he's decided to make us part of that plan. Because he doesn't need us. He can execute judgment all by himself. He could save people all by himself. But he has decided by his mercy and grace to include us in that plan. Now I say all that up front to, sh to say to you that we're about to look at the final plague that's going to be thrust upon Egypt by a sovereign and mighty and holy God. But God had a timetable for this to occur. He had a man that he, he had appointed to be the deliverer. He waited until he was born. He waited until he grew up. He waited until he took a trip uh, out in the desert for a while. He waited until he got some training as a shepherd. He knew exactly the man. He knew exactly the time. And as a matter of fact, the people of Israel have waited through ten plagues. God didn't say there's going to be three. He didn't say, well, after seven, if Pharaoh cracks, then I'll deliver you. No, he said there's going to be ten. Ten plagues to fulfill his will. Now, what we're going to have in Exodus chapter 11, and this is a fairly short chapter, is we have a parenthetical paragraph. You say, what is that, Pastor Michael? A parenthetical paragraph is a paragraph inserted into the narrative of Exodus that is parenthetical in the sense that it comments on something that you've already read about. And so oftentimes in Hebrew literature, chapters are not necessarily chronological. Sometimes in Hebrew literature, you'll have an event that happens and then it gets explained. 
A good example is in the book of Genesis. You'll have an account of creation in the, in the early chapters of Genesis and then another chapter after it that explains in more detail what the previous chapter explained in the big picture. Are you with me? Well, in this particular account in Exodus chapter 11, it says this, Now the Lord, verse 1, said to Moses, and the NIV, I think, has it right, the Lord, now the Lord had said to Moses. They render it that way. Hebrew scholars agree that that's probably the right, right way to render it, so you could safely take your pen if you'd like to and write, now the Lord had said to Moses. Because most scholars would agree that this particular dialogue between Moses and God is happening during the three days of Egyptian darkness. Remember, there's light in the dwellings of the Hebrew people, but there is darkness in Egypt, a darkness that they could even feel. Remember that? But in the Hebrew dwellings, there's light, and this particular dialogue or discourse between God and Moses is happening most likely in this time slot because this is in preparation for Moses' final meeting that's recorded in Exodus chapter 10 that Oscar took us through last week where um, if you just peek back at the chapter in verse 26, therefore uh, Moses talks about the livestock going and in 27, just to skip ahead for sake of time, it says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, uh, Exodus 10:27, and he was not willing to let them go. And then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me, beware, do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. Now here's a threat from Pharaoh to Moses. And Moses said, you are right, I shall never see your face again. Now Moses responded that way because he had already had this meeting in Exodus 11 with God. And God had told him what he was going to do. There was one more plague coming and it was a plague to kill all of the firstborn of Egypt. And there would be such a cry in the land of Egypt that, the, that he would surely let the people go. And so God is having this discourse in this parenthetical chapter uh, inserted to give us a description of what God had told Moses before the meeting with Pharaoh at the end of Exodus 10. And he said, one more plague, verse 1, chapter 11, I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. When, not if, but when he lets you go, he will surely drive you from here. And you might want to underline or highlight the word completely. Now, prior to this, Pharaoh has made some promises that his heart really wasn't in. He'd say, okay, I've sinned, I blew it, I'll let you go, but leave. And remember, he would try to give these little provisions. Uh, leave, uh, leave your livestock or leave your children. Well, now God says, after this plague happens, he's going to let you go completely. He's not going to hold anything back. So he says, speak now, verse 2. In the hearing of the people, that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. Now, in Genesis 15, 13 and 14, Genesis 15, 13 and 14, don't turn there for the sake of time, there's a prophecy and it's given to Abram. And the prophecy says this, that after Israel is in this foreign land, they will leave with many possessions. In Exodus 3, 
uh, verses 20 through 22, God also foretold that they would go out with many possessions and they would plunder the Egyptians. And it's also recorded in Psalm 105, 37 and 38. And so what God said is when you guys leave, I'm going to give you such favor with the Egyptian people that you're going to ask them for their gold and silver and they are going to give it to you. So you're going to say, hey, we're going to the promised land. You know, our God is about to deliver us. You're going to knock on the Egyptian's door and you say, you're going to say, hi, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. No, you're not going to say that. You're going to say, hi, I'm one of the Hebrews. And um, can I have some of your gold and some of your silver? And the Egyptian people, I mean, after all, you've got to be a very likable Hebrew person. I mean, your God has just devastated their land with nine plagues. Um, their land is devastated. People have been walking around with boils and things buzzing around their head. And of course, if you knock on their door, they're going to happily give you their silver and gold. After all, who needs silver and gold? Nobody really needs it. So just tell the people, go knock on the Egyptian stores and ask them for their money. <laughs> now we're talking about seasons, right? Up until this point, what's been happening to the Hebrew people? They've been in slavery. But now God has come with His mighty hand. And this is a miracle, folks. God is saying, Moses, tell them to go knock on the door. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Now let me ask you, if you were living in Egypt and the last plague has been in a darkness that you could even feel, nobody even got up, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face, this dude's been responsible for the frogs a-croaking and the gnats a-buzzing and everything's been happening to you. Your life is in shambles because of this singular dude and his stick. And he walks by down the street. What would you think? Well, you know what the Egyptians were doing? Man, that's Moses living large. That's the literal Hebrew right there. He was largely esteemed in the community. Moses walked by and people just went, Hey, can I have your autograph, Moses? Oh, man. Oh, and would you squeeze this boil for me? <laughs> he had thrashed them. He was responsible for destruction of their entire land. And people wanted his autograph. That's a miracle. Moses was largely esteemed, greatly. Not only by the common people, but by Pharaoh's servants. They said, this guy's got power. I mean, we did a few of the things, but man, he's got power. That's a miracle, folks, when someone's been responsible for trashing your entire land and he's greatly esteemed. And Moses said, thus says the Lord. Now, this, I think, is swinging now to the chapter 10 encounter, okay? Where now we have some extra words that Moses shared with Pharaoh. Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I'm going out into the midst of Egypt. This was also uh, told to Moses in Exodus 4.23 when he was instructed to go to Pharaoh. He was to say, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused, Exodus 4.23, to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. 
You see, Israel was God's firstborn. And God said, you kept my firstborn from serving me all these years. You kept the whip on their back. You kept them in slavery. You mistreated them. They're my firstborn. I'm going to kill your firstborn. You say, is that the God of the Bible? Yes. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay even when you see that verse in Romans 12 or Hebrews chapter 10, in both cases, God says He's a God who repays. He will judge evil. By the way, there's no distinction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. He has not changed. The reason that we receive mercy is because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. But there is a day of wrath coming. And it's coming not only to Egypt, but to this entire world. And what we're going to see is that anybody who has the blood of the Lamb on their doorpost, God is going to pass over them. And we're going to get a little glimpse here uh, before we move into the fullness of the Passover treatment of God saying what He was going to do. You see in verse 5 he says, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt will die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the millstone. All the firstborn of the cattle as well. Nothing will escape when I pass over. God will be directly involved and the scripture indicates when the Passover happened it was God literally passing over the land of Egypt. That's where we get the Passover. This is it right here. And God says, I don't care if it's the king of Egypt's son or the lowest slave who's an Egyptian. Every firstborn will die. There will be no household spared and no animal will be spared. And the firstborn is significant because the firstborn of a family was where the, all the hopes and dreams were poured into. Uh, the father would look at a firstborn son no matter the culture, but especially in, in like the Hebrew culture. And he would be the heir. He would be the one who would uh, inherit um, the blessing and the land. And, and this was, there was a special place for the firstborn. And God says, this is going to be the final plague, the decisive blow, and surely he will let your people go. You see, after this one, they're going to be asking you to leave. The people are going to say to Pharaoh, if you don't get those people out of here, we're all going to be dead. And this is where we've come to now. The previous uh, plagues have been serious, but now there's going to be a plague that involves much death. Moreover, verse 6, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before and shall never be again. If you want to flip over to Exodus 12 and just check out the fulfillment of this one particular thought, Exodus 12, look at verse 29. Exodus 12, 29, Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh arose in the night he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. That's a plague, folks. 
That's serious business. See, God said, I'm not playing games with you, Pharaoh. You let my firstborn go, or I will take your firstborn. And it happened. But against any of the sons of Israel, back in uh, Exodus 11, verse 7, against any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark. See, God had said that he was making this distinction between Egypt and Israel. And when this last plague came, the plague came and literally killed the firstborn. God killed the firstborn in every household. But against his own people, he wouldn't even let a dog bark at them. He wouldn't even let a dog on that night turn and growl at a Hebrew. That's the distinction that God had made. And that is a prefigurement to the future, isn't it? Because there's going to be a day when the judgment and wrath of God comes. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, you have not been appointed to wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Now we can sit here and talk about the end time scenario and the timing of the rapture, but in the end, here's what we know. We have not been appointed to wrath. And when God comes to judge the world, the reason that we will not be growled at, if you will, barked at, if you will, is because we are cleansed by the blood. And when we get into Exodus chapter 12, we're going to see in detail how God tells the people of Israel to take a lamb on the 10th day of Abib, which became the month of Nisan. And he's going to tell them, you take the lamb into your household on that 10th day. And on the 14th day, I want you to kill that lamb at twilight. The whole community of Jews was to do it simultaneously. Josephus tells us that the understanding of twilight came to mean three in the afternoon. In the Passover week when Jesus Christ was walking on this planet, he entered into Jerusalem on a Sunday or a Monday. It's debated among scholars. And he rode in on a donkey on what was called in Israel Lamb Selection Day in the week of Passover. And on that donkey, on that colt, the foal of a donkey rode the Lamb of God. And he was coming to present himself as the Lamb. And it, on that very day, all over Israel, you know what was happening? People were choosing lambs to take into their household for Passover week. They would choose a lamb. It was supposed to be a male without spot or blemish. They would take it into their household for the whole Passover week. That day, they were choosing lambs in Israel. That was the day that the Lamb of God rode in to Jerusalem. That week, he was there in the city preaching to them. Now, whether you believe it's Thursday or Friday that Jesus is crucified, that would depend on your Sunday or Monday triumphal entry, but we won't go there for right now. But on that afternoon, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was on that cross, it was noontime, darkness came over the land of Israel, confirmed by secular historians that it happened. At three in the afternoon, on Thursday or Friday of Passover week, the 14th day of Nisan, which was the month of Abib, the first month 
on the Jewish, uh, at least religious calendar, Jesus Christ said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. At that very moment, at three in the afternoon, the high priest of Israel, along with the whole community of Israel, was slitting the throat of the Passover lambs in Israel, all over the place. At the very moment that Jesus died in Passover week, everybody in Israel was cutting the throat of a lamb to spill its blood. Do we not have an incredible God? The shofar blew in the temple declaring that the Passover lamb had been sacrificed. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus Christ is our, what's the phrase, pashka, the Passover lamb. John says he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember I told you there's seasons. There's a, an appointed time for everything. We have a God of great meticulous detail. He planned that whole week to have that happen in the very religious climate that would point to the fulfillment of the Passover, Jesus Christ. You know, the day before he was killed, Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink from it, all of you. Remember me. And God was pointing to a season that's happened throughout Israel's history, Passover. And so the lamb is taken into the household. Jesus rode into Jerusalem. The lamb is cut and killed at twilight, so Jesus shed his blood on the cross and died at twilight to fulfill the picture of the Old Testament. And so Moses, as he concludes this time with warning Pharaoh, he says, all these, verse 8, chapter 11, your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, when this happens, they're going to say, go out, you and all your people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Moses was angry. Why was he angry? He had just told Pharaoh what was going to happen in the last plague. What made Moses so angry? Because he saw this stubborn man. You know, Moses had been so gracious with this guy. After some of the plagues happened, Pharaoh said, go and, and pray for me. Ask God to bless me too. Come, come in between your God and me. Pray on my behalf. What did Moses do? He went and prayed for Pharaoh. Okay, Lord, would you please lift the plague? Now God knew what he was doing, but Moses was patient with this guy. He even told him in one of the plagues we just looked at, okay, I know you promised to let us go after this one. Now keep your promise, right? Moses is pretty mellow with this guy. But Pharaoh turned up the heat and he said, Moses, if you see my face again, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. And Moses had had this meeting with God. <laughs> Moses, <laughs> Pharaoh, I got news for you, dude. You're never going to see my face again. And you know, Moses probably had the, in the back of his head, you're going to experience such a, gr a great cry in this land that your people, they're going to come down and bow at my feet. 
Now the Bible says that in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And one day, incredibly, this shepherd, this disdained leader of Israel, the, Egypt, the great Egyptians dressed in their Egyptian garb, the, the right-hand men of Pharaoh, leader of Egypt, ruler of the world, would bow down at a shepherd's feet and say, please leave or we're all going to die. One day this world you know, this world that looks so fancy and so attractive and mocks Jesus Christ, one day they're going to bow at the feet of a shepherd. And they're going to say, would you let a rock fall on me because I don't want to see his face. Hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. See, that's what's coming. Oh, I know it's not the most joyous thought. It's not the most exhilarating message that we can hear. I think we are going to see the separation of the sheep from the goats, yes. So then the Lord said to Moses, verse 9, as we conclude, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Now remember this parenthetical. So this is, this is the meeting that took place before chapter 10, end of chapter 10. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt so the Passover will happen. And Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Now surely he would and chapter 12 will give us the full story of the Passover and we'll be looking at that next time. But I just want to remind you as we close in Philippians chapter 2 that it does say that every knee will bow to the feet of the shepherd and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad he's my shepherd. <laughs> and you know what's incredible about our shepherd, even though you know, he will come to judge the world in righteousness, is that he was willing to take that punishment and spill his blood for us. How incredible. And then he says, you know what, I want to use you. How, you know, we, we go through seasons and we'll, we'll talk about this as we close and sometimes it's a season of bondage and then we see some of God's favor and we might even see his deliverance. But, you know, the children of Israel, don't forget, they, they went out into that wilderness but then they got whiny and some of them died and they were tested in the wilderness. And that's kind of how the Christian life is, huh? You know, through every season, we know God is faithful, we know he's on the throne, but sometimes we feel like we're under that taskmaster. Whoever that taskmaster is in your life, you know? And then sometimes we see, oh, we see the favor of God. And then we get deliverance, we think, cool! And then we get tested again, ah! And then we whine, oh Lord, where's the water? I'm sick of the manna. Give me something new. But when is your faith really tested? You know, your faith is tested and strengthened in struggle, not in times of plenty. Now, we certainly enjoy the times of plenty. I love those seasons of favor. 
I'd love to be knocking on the Egyptian store and say, can I have your silver and gold? And they say, oh, sure, here you go. Have Ed McMahon come to your door. You've just won a million dollars. I always said I'd give 10% to the church, maybe five. I don't know. Seasons of favor. Gotta love those, right? But your faith will be tested in the times of struggle. And you will be strengthened. So hold on. If you're in one of those seasons right now, <laughs> you know, God, God has not left the throne. He does not go on vacation and he does not sleep. But he has appointed times for everything. And he looks for men and women who will hold on through the lean times, through the times that they don't understand, and say, I will be faithful because he is faithful. And when you do, just remember Moses. Lord, I'm not sure. I don't know if I can go get somebody else. I can't talk. And then he's walking down the street of Egypt and people are going, can I have you out of God? Moses, man, you're cool. You're living large, dude. God's faithful, right? So press on towards the goal. Father, thank you so much for the beauty of living in Jesus Christ. It's such a great privilege. It's a great honor to serve you. But Lord, we know that we are metal in the maker's hand. You are the potter, we are the clay. You've, you have appointed times for everything. You're a God who knows exactly what he's doing, when he's doing it. And that gives us great hope and comfort because we know that you have never lost control and you never will. Although we don't understand everything in this life, Father, and we certainly don't understand 400 years of Egyptian bondage and we certainly don't understand every detail of why there was 10 plagues, we know you certainly took out your wrath against Egypt and against the gods of Egypt, but in the end, Lord, these are decisions that you've made in your counsel. But I know that the Hebrew people, as they left Egypt, as the darkness came, as the Passover happened, they were certainly glad that they were covered by the blood of the Lamb. And that's what we can say tonight, Father. Thank you that we're in the new covenant with you by the blood of Jesus and that you have passed over us. You will not judge us. We will not experience your wrath. And in this world, Lord, in this season in which we live now, we need to be faithful. And so we pray that you'll help us, Lord, because we can get frustrated and we can struggle and we can despair. And we can even ask questions and wonder why. But in the end, Lord, you have appointed times. And you even have appointed people like Moses and like some of us tonight. We can say, you know what? I was appointed for this time to do this thing. What we want to do is walk faithfully in that appointment, Father. And so, Lord, tonight, I just want to pray for each of the individuals that are here. Um, I know that we're all going through different seasons of our lives. I just pray that you'll meet us wherever we are. You'll uh, ease our minds and hearts tonight. You'll help us just to walk in the peace and joy of who you are. That, but that we'll walk as bold witnesses as well, Father in a world that uh, so desperately needs to hear the message of the gospel. So tonight we give you thanks. We thank you for the book of Exodus. We thank you for the sweet saints that are here tonight, those who couldn't make it. And tonight as we break into a little bit of prayer, we just ask that you'll help us to encourage one another, Father, and love each other as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.